Well, a happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome into This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario along with Joe Vitale. Blues off tonight, blues off tomorrow. Back at it on Saturday before they head into the All-Star break. And Joe Vitale, more importantly, a week off for you. What the hell are you going to do with yourself? Well, I made the mistake of staying in town, so now I have a <laughs> lot of responsibilities for the All-Star game uh, through the league and through the Blues. Uh, no, I'm, I'm honored that they asked me, and I'm excited to, to be emceeing some events and and be down there downtown. It's going to be a terrific event next weekend here in St. Louis. So many great things happening around the St. Louis area, especially down by Union Station and the rink. So uh, for young fans, old fans alike, it's going to be a special week. I'm excited to take part in it, Alex. You know, I was hoping for a little bit of a reset this <laughs> week, but it is good to stay busy. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, as long as the last season was and then going into this season, it felt like, you know, we talked about it in the offseason, it felt like there was no break at all. Like we just jumped right back in into it, but there's a, there's a little bit of excitement built into this upcoming week, right? Like, there's a little bit of, you're coming into this upcoming weekend with the All-Star game, the skills competition, which we'll get into, the All-Star actual game with the names being represented by St. Louis, but i got to tell you, more importantly, the part that's getting me excited is the alumni game that's yeah. going to be taking place. Yeah, and you're going to be talking to Cam Jansen here in a little while. Uh, Cam's going to kind of give his take on uh, his strategy for the game. I know he's playing, and there's going to be an alumni game happening out at Centene. There's an alumni luncheon down uh, in Anheuser-Busch. Uh, just having those names here, Alex, you're right. Uh, you look at the players alone, I mean, the Connor McDavid's who are going to show up of the world, but to me, it's more exciting at times to look around in these alumni events and maybe you just all of a sudden see Wayne Gretzky right. walk across the concourse as we saw him in the game the other day. Brett Hall, of course, is going to be there. Uh, you know, uh, players like Paul Bissonnette, more recent players that are great personalities in the game, yep. they're going to have their flair and add the excitement. Uh, and then recent Stanley Cup champions, Chris Butler is going to come back to town, his oh, hometown nice. in St. Louis. So it's just a, such a far range of players, but so much talent, so much hockey knowledge and uh, experience all within the same city and sometimes under the same roof if you can get into those buildings at that time uh, it's just going to add to the excitement and the anticipation and, and how the St. Louis uh, not only city has turned it around but just looking past over the last couple of years I mean the Blues go to the renovation of the Enterprise Center uh, I remember last year around this time they were hoping to get a bid for that all-star game they end up getting that through the renovations get finished and win the Stanley Cup championship and then now you have the all-star game with all these great names coming to town it really is uh, such a, a great time to be a hockey fan, a Blues fan especially, and we haven't even got into the fact that yeah. they have a 10-point cushion in the Western <laughs> Conference and they're in first place. Yeah, you wrap up a five-game homestand and, you know, you take nine to ten points. No big deal. You go on a ten-game win streak or a nine-game win streak, which was snapped last night against the Philly Flyers. But before we talk about the loss, Joe, I want to go back and look at the other games during the week because, you know, you come home after that Vegas loss Things are looking pretty bleak. Like, you lose a game where you were up by three, you blow the lead, you lose three straight on the road. You're like, boy, I hope you don't start getting into this scenario again. But then they find a way to correct it. And look, albeit, I'll, I'll admit, those were five, four easier teams to mm-hmm. take on. You got the Sharks at the bottom, the Sabres who were floundering a little bit, the Rangers at the bottom, the Ducks at the bottom, and the Flyers, of course, the team that beat them. But. With all that being said, they're still NHL teams, 
and you still find a way to beat them on a consistent basis, even with all of the fatigue factor that has been talked about. Yeah, you know, I don't think there was any panic with the Blues team on that three-game road trip, Alex. You, you go to Arizona, who was near the top of the Pacific, and then you go to Colorado, who was nipping at your heels in the Central, and then you go to Vegas, who was leading the Pacific. I mean, those were not only three road games and three tough cities, but these are three really good hockey teams. It kind of reminds you of when the Blues used to go out west to California, when you have to face the San Jose Sharks and the LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks five, six, seven years ago, that heavy team. I think that has shifted. Now, instead of going to LA and, and San Jose and Anaheim, those California three-game road trips, I think now we're going to be looking at a little bit more east where the challenging teams coming up in the next two, three years are going to be the Arizona, Colorado, Las Vegas, Golden Knights. And that's what the Blues face. And, and they knew that. Of course, you, you grab one point out of that whole road trip. Um, kind of a congested road trip. A lot's kind of happening. There's New Year's. There's Vegas. They have the rookie party. You're going to Colorado with the altitude. I mean, it's just the travel. It was a, it was almost in the making that it was supposed to be a little bit of a scatterbrain kind of road trip. But then you come home and you mention the teams, the caliber of teams, teams kind of floundering towards the bottom of the standings. Those are the games you got to take care of. And those are the games the Blues certainly took care of, at least grabbing a point in every single one of those on home ice. And, and home ice has just continued to become such an advantage now for the St. Louis Blues and, and what a year a different or what a difference a year can make. You know, this is the time last year, Alex, where the Blues started on the road. Right. And they found that game on the road and they were excelling on the road. And at home they would struggle. And now it's 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 funny how everything has flip flopped uh, with the ten point cushion as we just mentioned here in the West. The Blues are gunning now, I think, for for home ice advantage. Every team is looking for uh, motivation, especially when you're up uh, up at the top. Yeah, you can look at the President's Trophy, but I don't think the Blues are really worried about that. I think they feel very confident playing at home, and as they continue to the deadline and continue to make that playoff push, uh, that is going to be the motivation for this team. We like playing at home. We're successful playing at home. Now, what can we do right now to ensure we're going to be playing a lot of home games come playoff time? And well, I want to talk about the home ice advantage a little bit later on in the show because I think it's something worth talking about right now, and Craig Berube said something really intriguing about that yesterday. But you mentioned the rookie party, and I don't even know if we've touched on this. Do you remember your rookie party? Oh, well, well not just yes, you. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's where I'm going with it. Uh, do, do they still do it where it's kind of phasing in the guys, or is it more just like a night out enjoying it? You know, it, it it's more of a night out enjoying really? it. You know, yeah. Alex, with social media now, uh, there's uh, there's just not as much you can get away with anymore right. with all the cell phones and, and so many fans will see I mean, hockey players just stick out like a sore thumb because of our, basically, from the waist down, yeah. you see huge our, big, butts. our huge butts yeah. just walking around and everyone's kind of looking sharp in their nice suits. And So if you want to look like a hockey player, folks, just get a big butt. Just drink your milkshakes and have a big butt. <laughs> Put exactly. tight pants on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we kind of stick out now. Uh, uh, fans and, and, you know, you go to these cities and, and, and players know, you know, yeah. what's going on. And fans know that. And everyone's getting out their cell phone. So it's very difficult to have probably as much fun or keep it as loose as we did five, six, seven years ago. My rookie party, personally, while we were in Denver, Colorado, uh, it was me, Eric Tangrady, Brad Thiessen, and Dustin Jeffrey. We had four guys. Oh, look at and that group. I know. Ocean <laughs> Prime, uh, right on that Larimer Street uh, in Denver, Colorado, right on the corner there. And oh my gosh, it was, it got a little out of hand, almost to the point where I remember at the end of the night, we got those Louis, those Louis 13th. I, oh, yeah. The, the, it's like cognac or scotch. I'm yeah. not even sure what it is. It's like 120 bucks for a shot. It just handed it. to you. Yeah, and everyone's getting them. I mean, it, it gets out of hand from a price point standpoint. I'll never forget Aaron Asham kind of taking a sip of it, and, and then he just 
spit it out and goes, oh, this is gross. And there goes a hundred bucks just like right in, as it vanishes into the air. Um, you know what? The uh, It is expensive. I I've will seen say that. some of those checks on social media. Uh, it is expensive. Uh, I will I will go on record saying that I had to pay 5000 my rookie party. Oh my and then gosh. the other three rookies split five. So that's 20 right there. I think our final bill was 32. Oh. So, so if you're wondering what, what happened to the uh, extra 12, well, that's where it's nice to have good captains who make extra millions of dollars. So Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, they ended up splitting the last 12. Oh, they, Evgeny split it for they, you. They did, yeah. They he didn't said, call you 46. No, no. They said uh, 12 left. Sid, you got six. I got six. And so they split uh, the last. Just a just a little 12 grand at dinner. No, 46, deal. I got your 6K here. <laughs> I was like, Gino, you know, if you could tell me my name, uh, I'll make it a little bit less for you. But no, 46. You bailed it I'm, out. I'm trying to think of the, the rookies for the Blues. I mean, of course, Kairou. Mm-hmm. Mikola wasn't with them at the time, was he? Uh, Mikola was not with them. Jordan Kairou was. Jake Wallman was. Jake Wallman was. You know, those are those are different situations. I'm not sure if Mackenzie... I think, yeah, Mackenzie McEachern participated last year. Jordan Bennington participated yeah. last year. Uh, you know, it's not always a rookie from the start of the season on. Like, Robert Thomas was a, right. a rookie from the start of the season on. I mean, that, that's a true rookie, right? Like a player who spent uh, their entire season up. But then you'll have call-ups where it's more about just grabbing those call-ups and, and initiating them. Mm. At some point, you have to be initiated. So let's just say that, let's say Jordan Cairo didn't get called up till right now, and maybe he misses the party. Well, he makes a team next year. So technically, it's not his first year. Actually, it'd be his third year yeah. of being on the team. But, you know, they'll find out if you have had that initiation dinner, so he would have to participate in his third year. So everyone has to go through it. Uh, the good news for players who just get called up before the rookie party, let's look at Jake Wallman, for right. example. If he participated in it, which he did, you've always been called up for a week or so. The team does not lean on him to donate that three, four grand because he hasn't been making NHL money for all that long. So it actually works out well where you kind of get the initiation dinner where you participate. Usually they make the players dress up. Uh, you know, you got to make some sort of speech. I had to make a prayer. I had to say a prayer before everyone really? at the uh, <laughs> the dinner, and I was dressed in a cowboy suit. I had to stand up on a chair. Um, so you <laughs> have to participate in it, but not, not necessarily forking over all the dough, which actually probably works out pretty well for uh, young Jake Wallman, who actually got sent down right after. Right. So, uh, but no, they're a lot of fun. One of the one of the nights that all the players look forward to every year. I would say Halloween. And rookie party, those are the really? two. When you get when you get a schedule at the beginning of the year, Alex, and you look at it, all the players come to the captain and they ask two questions: When are we doing the Halloween party, and when is rookie party? Because wow. the rookie party, you typically want to do it in a nice city, a warm city, typically. Right. But it has to work out with far as the days days off afterwards, and you know maybe you're on the road for five days and you can do it somewhere. Uh, you never want to do it at home. Typically, you always want to do it in Florida or California. And the Blues obviously picked a good day in Vegas this year. Well, it's always fun to kind of see behind the door. And the reason I brought it up, Joe, was because, you know, this team seems really close. And we've mm-hmm. talked about it on the broadcast. I mean, I mentioned it in the post game when you go back to that home game where Ryan O'Reilly, who had one goal at home this season, had an empty net wide open and gave it to Alexander Steen. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of group that you have right now. And I think the rookie party kind of paints that picture even more after what we saw last night against the Flyers, where you're down by two, the bench is talking like, guys, let's get this going. We know we can, we're in this game, we can win this game. That group being so close shows you why they're doing what they're doing this season. I've been on teams where 
it's clicky. I've been on teams where they're very tight, and it's amazing the difference and how you feel on that bench. Uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly when he came to St. Louis last year and, and asking about him and and how to turn this season around. This was like mid October, maybe mid November. I would say at the time when the Blues were really struggling, and he said the foundation of it all. I'll never forget his comments was we have to learn to like each other, enjoy each other, because until then you're never going to fight for someone. And I think that this is why the closeness is so important. I think the nights out like the rookie party. I think getting together on the planes, uh, having the late nights. I mean, Alex, we were in Western Canada earlier this year. We went from Minnesota where we won the game, where uh, Jake Allen was in the net. You fly out to Vancouver because of the time change and daylight savings time. We actually took off at like 11.30 p.m. and landed in Vancouver at 11.30 p.m. because of the crazy timing. The guys went right to the bar. I mean, they, they dropped their bag. They hold the old bag chuck. They, bag chucked, chuck. they chucked their bags in the hotel room. They hopped right back on the bus and they hit the bar. Those, are, those events and those memories are so important where the whole team is getting together, they're hanging out together and then even the next day where they're at practice and then they're struggling together and everyone's kind of laughing and goofing off and picking each other up, you're sweating it out. But those are the memories and those are the intangible things I think championship teams they have. The Bruins are known for being a very close group. We saw what they did last year. The Washington Capitals, a couple of good buddies on that team. A very close group. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the long story is uh, you have to enjoy each other because when you enjoy each other and you care for one another, that's when you're on the bench, you're looking around and saying, I want to fight for this guy. I right. want to pick this guy up because he's my guy, he's my homeboy. And this is what the St. Louis Blues do so well. They have great relationships, not only on the ice, but away from the rink. I was talking to Oscar Sundquist last night. I mean, these guys game. They're gamers. Oscar Sundquist will go home and late at night. He's gaming with Robert Thomas, Tyler Bozak. They're playing Call of Duty with Ryan O'Reilly right after he put his son to really? bed. I mean, they, they game all night. I mean, these guys are talking with the headsets and they're playing video games and they're shooting each other and it's just a very very close group you know this always happens in hockey where you think guys are older than what they are no right no 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 (laughs) and they're not like every time i see ryan o'reilly and talk to ryan o'reilly i think he's 32 33 years old this guy's got a family he's really like mature not saying that he's not but he goes home and he hops on Call of Duty after his kid goes yeah. to bed, after he just tears it up in the NHL. Like, that's what people need to understand. These guys are humans and they have fun with it. The best part about hockey as a player and as a broadcaster, and this is why I love my job so much, is you never have to grow up. You yeah. can be a kid forever. And Alex, that, that's why it's such a struggle when you stop playing a game. Because think about it. You go from playing a sport in the morning to getting lunch, getting therapy, <laughs> getting treatment. You got great lunches. And then you go home, you take a three-hour nap, you wake up, and you play Call of Duty from 9 to midnight. I mean, it's like me in high school. It's like, it's say, like, it was my high school career. It's like every, And you're getting paid millions of dollars to do it. Yeah. So it's the only difference between that in high school and these players now is they're getting paid $4 million, $5, 8000000 million <laughs> to do exactly what you did in high school. And that is why it is such a shock when you stop playing the game because then you go into the work world and you look at the date and it's July 14th and you're like, uh, when's the offseason? And your boss is like, oh, there's no offseason. Wait, I have to work year-round? Yeah, this is a year-round job. You show Joey up at this time. In the broadcast booth in January like, don't we get a little like week off or something I here? Know. No, that's not how it works. I love these seasonal jobs, exactly. <laughs> that's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is This Week in Hockey. When we come back, the coaching carousel continues. More coaches being fired, and they just recycle. Why is that? We'll talk with Joe about that next here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to This Week in Hockey here on a Thursday night. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. So, Joe, now the question is, 
Have you played Call of Duty? I have played Call of Duty. Are you terrible at it? I am so bad. You're like I am. I, I, I don't know how those players like stay calm. Like while playing the game, it's such an anxious game. I remember right. I played in the minors a little bit. My armpits, I'd be so sweaty, <laughs> and then I would finally shut it off, and then I couldn't go to bed for like three hours. I feel like I'm still in war mode, and and apparently these guys understand how to shut it off. I was always the sniper. I was always behind a barrier, behind some weeds, and I wouldn't move. I would just wait for someone to come to me, and usually I got like my throat slit from behind, or, or you'd like get that. that one kill, and you'd feel like a badass, like <laughs> yeah, suck it. And then at the end of the game, you're like, oh wow, Joe's at the bottom with one kill. Yeah, one kill. Yeah. I've got like destroyed like 13 <laughs> times, but there is something kind of cool about just kind of hiding out and just waiting for that right one, almost like deer hunting a little bit, I guess. But uh, I, I could never be the guy that just runs everywhere and jumps into buildings, jumps out of buildings, hides in the weeds, goes into the trenches, climbs over the bridge. I mean, those guys were just too much for me, and they're hard to hit. Yeah. I remember, too, uh, last year we did something with the Blues where we played a video game with, with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and we videotaped it, and they played Fortnite. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what the hell Fortnite is. And I'm watching these guys play it. And like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo are just nonchalantly just continuing to dominate. Like yeah. one hand on the controller talking to each other. Yeah. And, and I'm like, what the hell are you two doing? Like, how do you know this? And they were joking around like, dude, we play this all the time. Like yeah. we go home like practices, games. We go home and we play these video games. That's it. I mean, literally, they leave. these guys get to the rink in the morning around nine. They have a meeting, they get on the ice, they play for an hour. They get off, they shower up, they get treatment, they have lunch that's served to them over there at the Enterprise Center. They go home, they take maybe a two, three hour nap, they wake up, have another snack. Get some pasta. A little pasta, a little dinner, and then they, get, they just jump right into gaming. I mean, and uh, the Fortnite game, I, you know, I never understood the no. Fortnite game. I mean, apparently they have like uh, logs that just kind of build forts, and I don't know where do they See, get I these logs Fortnite from. Fortnite was Call of Duty. No, no, Fortnite, it's like, you actually build forts. Which makes no sense to me. And they have like these. These long pieces of lumber, like on their backpack, they just like pull out these lumbers and they build fours. Like, where is this lumber coming from? It doesn't even make any sense. At least Call of Duty is like realistic. See, this is why I feel like Ryan O'Reilly's older than me because I'm 29 and I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. But now it's the opposite. Now I'm gonna have to have a gaming conversation with him. It, it is. It is pretty crazy. I know he's a Call of Duty guy, and and he's one of the good ones too, which surprises me. I mean, he, he's one of the players that plays till like midnight at night, <laughs> right when they put the kids to bed, and uh, talk about um, wives of the year. Oh and, my God, right. They should write like a wives book, oh, yeah. how, to, how to be a, a badass wife. We, we need to do a Krispy Kreme cup of Joe with one of their wives. I mean, you need to do like a week of wife conversation. That would be a weird conversation, though, asking Ryan O'Reilly, hey, you mind if I talk to your wife? That for, would be really um, uncomfortable. Krispy Kreme cup of Joe segment. She'd be like, um, hmm, Once you give let me, me the questions first, and I'll approve which ones you're going to ask <laughs> yeah, him, right? You know, I'll get back to you on that, Joe. Okay. Uh, well, you know, we're talking video games, and of course, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. But it's also not easy to be a head coach in the NHL, Joe. And we're starting to see that more and more. The stat continues to amaze me. You know, last year at this time, Craig Berube was the only coach that was fired. Now at this time, you've had coach after coach after coach. I believe it's up to seven now that have been fired in the National Hockey League. And look, a couple of them we know because of behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. behind the curtains, things that have gone on. Jim Montgomery has come out since and kind of explained what happened with him. But we saw Gerard Gallant get fired yesterday by the Vegas Golden Knights. And this one gets me to the point where I have to ask this question. 
Have the Blues officially ruined coaching careers in the NHL? Yes. Craig Berube has set a bad standard. Yes. <laughs> what Doug Armstrong has done has been screwing over coaches ever since. And and I mean that in the best way because oh, we all God, saw yeah. the success <laughs> of the Satan was Blues. But, you know, Doug Armstrong, he released Mike Yo, who was in the building uh, last night. He released him of his duties mid-November. Craig Berube takes over. The Blues win the Stanley Cup. I mean, really, it's just that simple. And that's how a lot of general managers look at the situation last year for the St. Louis Blues, a different voice. What a different, what what a difference a different voice can make, yeah. especially when you feel as a general manager you have the right pieces in play. So that has set a bad standard where now every general manager is looking at, well, if we just switch our coach, maybe one we'll win a Stanley Cup. This one to me, Alex, is the most plaguing firing of the season. I mean, let's just break this down for one for one second here. Gerard Gallant. His first year with the Golden Knights, he takes an expansion team to the Stanley Cup final. And, and it was close. They're up by one game. I'll never forget Alex Tucks on the back door. They're down by a goal in game two. And Hopey makes like the save of his life. Getting over, trapping it. The Caps win that game. Now, if Tuck scores that, they go in overtime. Maybe Vegas wins it. And then they're up by two. Maybe they win the Stanley Cup. I mean, it's that freaking close. Yeah. So that's his first year. His second year, he misses the Western Conference final because of a terrible yep. call. Remember call that? call that completely changed the NHL. They created a rule yes. since because of that goal. They're up by three goals. They, uh, I believe an injury on Pravelski. Uh, they go down. The Golden Knights go off on Off the face-off. Off a face-off. Uh, they, they get the major, and the San Jose Sharks score three power play goals. They win the game. The Golden Knights go home. So, again, he is that close to getting back to the Western Conference Final. And now this year, he's three points out of first place in the Pacific. Holding on to first place for a couple of weeks. Holding on to co- And he's the all-star coach yeah. of the Pacific. He is representing the Pacific in the all-star game. He was supposed to be in St. Louis <laughs> next week. And now he's fired? Like, is anyone safe no. in the National Hockey League now? I mean, what is going on? You talk about a soap opera. Not to get off the sidetrack here, but the Pacific Division all-star team is a soap opera. So you got Gerard Gallant, who's fired, who yeah. is still the head coach, who knows what's going to happen there. You got Matthew Kachuk, who has pissed off two of his teammates and Drew Doughty, and Leon Dreisaitl, who has said that he's not going to play on the same ice as Matthew Kachuk in the All-Star <laughs> game. Like, that is a soap opera to pay attention to. The Gerard Gallant thing just gets me so much, too, because, you know, like, the leash is, is, is so short now mm-hmm. for coaches. Like, if you're going to give a guy three years to win a Stanley Cup and I don't even get the Vegas because the perspective after listening to their president talk yesterday of you know we're in win now mentality Mm -hmm. well you were winning now and you bring in another coach who had success but he was coaching a team that was the worst team in the NHL at some point this season and he was fired so that's the part that just I don't understand when it comes to Vegas because how are you how are you setting this tone for your players, basically saying, look, if you're bad, we're going to fire the coach and you're going to have to figure it out yourselves? Yeah, I mean, uh, Kelly McCribbin, so he's the general manager for the Vegas Golden Knights. To me, Alex, this had to be pre- it has to be part of a predetermined master plan that that was already set in McCribbin's mind when Peter DeBoer lost his job. I mean, I'm not sure the relationship he has with Peter DeBoer, but for him to lose his job and him to be on the market, it's almost to me as if Kelly McCribbin was just waiting for the right moment right. to let Glenn go. Remember when Joel Quenville lost his job last year? Mm-hmm. So Joel Joe Quenville is a the hottest coach in the market. Oh, yeah. And you know, every general manager at that point was like, okay, when's the right moment to fire my coach and maybe bring in Joel? Assuming Joel 
wants to coach come here. right now and come here. So that that seemed to be uh, the mentality last year. Peter DeBoer, another great coach on the market, probably the best coach on the market. I kind of wonder what David Poyle would do. Looking back, maybe you won't hire John Hines so quickly. Well, that's the part that gets me, too. I mean, just what you said, you fire Peter Laviolette, who has success for you, and yeah. you go out there and you hire Hines immediately. Yeah. Did you strike that too soon? I think so. Because you go get another coach. Now Gerard Gallant's available. Now right. he's the hottest coach in the market. Now you're looking at, oh, man, we just signed John Hines here. Uh, hey, but, can you know, we fire John? Can we and... do this? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a ring around the rosy effect. Th- this had to have been a predetermined plan, uh, for me anyway. It's either that, Alex, for to bring in Peter DeBoer, or something else must have been happening behind the scenes that, that we just don't know about, and maybe they will never release publicly. Um, but for but for Gerard Gallant to lose his job after, and I know they said it was a hockey decision too, which, right. which plagues me. Maybe they're just protecting the coach. But there's some, there had to have been some personality quirk or maybe relationship with an owner, relationship with a GM that maybe they just weren't seeing eye to eye on some things. You know, a lot of times GMs have a lot of say. I'm not saying this is the case here, but a lot of GMs want to say in who plays, who plays on what line, what players should be scratched. And the coaches sometimes just tell them to buzz off. I'm not sure if that is maybe a relationship kind of going on in Vegas, but somewhere along the line, things went south. And uh, because you look at from a hockey standpoint, I just don't know of a better coach for a better team uh, aside from the, the obvious ones with Bruce Cassidy in Boston or the Craig Brubies uh, here in St. Louis or the Todd Reardons in the Washington that are better than Gerard Gallant and what he has done for Vegas in their three very short years of existence. Are we going to start seeing to the point now, and maybe this is where we're at now, where you fire a coach because the one you want is available? Yeah. And, and how do you decipher that, Joe? Like in a locker room, <clears throat> you weren't part of a coaching change mid-season, right, with Never. Pittsburgh, but you played with players who were. Of course, mm-hmm. when they fired the head coach in Pittsburgh and brought in Dan Bilesma and they won the Stanley Cup, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin are a part of that team. How does how does a team determine a coach that works with a player well, or a group of players? You know, I, I think that, I mean, that's a... That's a deep question that is so many variables involved with it as far as the relationship with the players and how the stars respond to a certain style of coaching and I mean so many different variables. You know, I, I think at the end of the day though, sometimes GMs look at their team, they see that they're underperforming, they see that their star players can be better. Let's just take the National Predators just for example. Um, you got Matt Duchesne, you get you sign him as a free agent, uh, you have good pieces in Roman Yossi, you have the Johansons, you have the Pecorinas, you have good pieces, just like the Blues had last year, according to Doug Armstrong. And if you're not getting it done, I think general managers simply look at it like we need to hear a new voice. Uh, Peter Laviolette's been there a long time, and for some reason, players were just getting tired of hearing that same voice, uh, saying the same monotone, uh, same systems, over and over, every day. It was getting stale. Sometimes you need to spice it up and need maybe a little bit more intensity. And I know for Nashville, just again, since we're on that topic, John Hines is an intense guy. I had him in Wilkes-Barre. We've talked about him here on this show. He's a coach where I remember being in the locker room at the end of four games and five nights. We're in uh, Adirondack in the middle of winter. You're exhausted. You don't want to be there. And within five minutes of him coming in and having a speech, he would leave that locker room and everyone was on their feet and ready to go and tackle this game. I mean, that's how intense this guy is. He's a, a sheer motivator of people. So I think that that decision 
uh, was really good. And you look at David Poyle, and, and for him, as, again, as an example, uh, he looked at it like this team needs to hear a different voice. They need something else. And and right there in, in Vegas, Kelly McCrimmon maybe felt the same way. This this team, although they're good, they still are underperforming. There's a great coach on the market. Maybe this window closes uh, pretty quickly. It could coach. It could close next week. I mean, yeah. we don't know the ins and outs. Maybe Peter DeBoer saying, hey, heads up, uh, Detroit's calling me. They, they want to kind of sign me. I, I need to know now what's going on. And, and you know that window is short and you had to go out and grab them and um, again I, that is just a crazy one for me not though. to put too much conspiracy theory in this but I was reading Elliot Friedman's article the other day and Gerard Gallant has a relationship with Steve Eiserman yeah would how about a, this? that would be a connection there and I know we talked together. about Jeff Blaschel of how he's there but then you also got the Seattle team and we saw Joel Quinville be the name that was going to go to Seattle. Mm-hmm. We saw Mike Babcock's name be the guy that's going to go to <clears> Seattle. And then now you're at the point where you look at it and you say, well, might be Gerard Gallant going two for two with expansion teams going to Seattle. Well, I think that's just it because the Detroit one's intriguing with Steve Eisenman. I still think they're in such a rebuild mode, though. I think for Stevie Y, I think the Detroit Red Wings are struggling. I think you got to keep struggling. I don't think you want to oh, bring yeah. in a good coach just yet no. because you don't want to be finishing third or fourth from the bottom and get another yep. you know mid round pick. You need a couple very top end picks. You need three years where you're getting top two picks exactly so keep struggling with the coach you have in my opinion if you're seattle you got to go after Gallant. and you know what he's proven to get a group of expansion guys bring them together uh, understand what the message is he took them to the stanley cup final for god's sake they almost went up 2-0 in that series they could have won the stanley cup again after that save from holpe Uh, so Gallant has done that and that's something that a lot of coaches in this league in fact probably all of them up to this point in this era have never dealt with from an experienced standpoint so seattle would be probably my top choice if i'm in gerard Gallant shoes which i'm not i'm here in (laughs) joe's shoes and i'm sitting with you alex which is a way better life oh yeah Come on now. Than coaching the National Hockey Yeah, League. see, that's the only way to go. And we're going to end on that note as we take a quick break on This Week in Hockey. Here's something that coaches have had to deal with, Cam Jansen. And we all know how much <laughs> that of pain in the butt is. Well, we're going to talk with Cam next. Of course, he's a part of the All-Star alumni game that will be taking place next week. So Cam Jansen joins us next here on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. We teased it. It's everyone's favorite, number 55, Cam Jansen, joining us now here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Cam, what's up, bro? What up, dudes? What's going on? How's life, buddy? Uh, it's, it's uh, well, there's a lot of talking, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of radio, a lot of, a lot of hockey talk, a lot of trying to stay organized um, and uh, trying to keep us. Uh, uh, trying not to wear the same thing every single day because you're on doing video and pictures and things like that, and uh, just trying to stay organized as a whole. But it's it's fun, and when the Blues are doing well, it makes your job easier. Cam, you mentioned tired of talking, and this is something that I I've been dealing with a lot this year. <laughs> tired of talking about <laughs> hockey. What do you do to decompress? Like if you're having a moment where like you, you talk to your wife, like honey, I I, I I am just so exhausted from talking. What do you do to kind of get a reset? Well, first off, I hate my voice, so you know, <laughs> that just, so that just adds on to the fury. You know, what I do like we watch so much hockey, and and I have to watch other sports too. Now, you both do as a whole, so YouTube big time, uh, Alex. And sometimes I just be like, you know what? I'm not going to watch any sports today. I'm going to sit down and I might watch a romantic rom com mm. with you, and just get into a different uh, other bliss in your mind, and just get away from from hockey. And sports as a whole, 
But then I hate the movie. Then I go back and watch hockey again. So it's just like you know, never ending circle. You gotta have the romantic bliss in your life, right? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously not because you're not making it through the rom com. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, Cam, the main reason we wanted to have you on, other than to have some fun and talk some hockey, was of course this big All Star Alumni Game that's coming up a week from tonight. It's at Centene. There's tickets still available. The luncheon will be taking place earlier in the afternoon. And just tell Joe and I and our listeners a little bit about this uh, fun evening that I'm sure you're pumped up for. Oh, very, very excited. There's going to be a lot, a lot of guys coming in town. I mean, Gretz is going to drop the puck, and, you know, Brett Hall, Curtis Joseph, Paul uh, Bissonnette will be there. Actually, the team, I, I look at the rosters, and they got, Joey, they got some heavyweights on the other team. And I'm, I'm a little nervous. I might have to go to Jesse Finney's and do my boxing training again. <laughs> they got business. They got Jody Shelley and Joey Kosher. So I'm going to have a, a rough night that night, but it's going to be a blast. That if you haven't been to that rink, it's magnificent. It's awesome. It is the most beautiful rink probably in the Midwest. And there's bars there. They got great food. The rink is beautiful. The alumni room's right there. So everybody's going to have a, such a, a, a great time. Uh, I did get the warning from Bruce Affleck. He came to me and he goes, "Red Berenson's playing." I go, "Yeah." He goes, He's 80 years old. <laughs> yeah. Don't go near him. I'm like, I go, I won't. And the reason why he said it is because BA ran into me the other day and I almost killed him. And I didn't mean to, but sometimes you run into each other. And Red Berenson will be out there. He's 80 years old, but he could still play. The whole thing's going to be fun. You know, Chaser asked me about this game, and I'm, I'm still dealing with some eye stuff, so I can't, unfortunately, play. But when I found out, Cam, that you were playing, I immediately said no. Because as I was talking to Alex, uh, I played pickup hockey with you. And Cam Jansen, even as a retired athlete, he only has one speed. The, the intensity <laughs> oh, of this guy is, is absolutely insane. And, and for Cam to be on the ice, I don't know what's more dangerous, to play against you or play with you, to be honest with you, Cam. Who are you kidding? This guy you, walks you in for a podcast. Hour. But you have the puck. I don't. That yeah, right. <laughs> this no, guy. Look, it, it is. It does. You know, we we go so fast. We still have energy, and so we want to let it out. And some of those skates that we skate in, it is dangerous. I mean, you run into each other. Remember you and Jammer? Oh man, he never oh, he God. never returns. <laughs> he never returned. I know. It's just you're just going so fast. We're all heavy and and powerful. <laughs> and when you run into each other, it could set you back. But again, this is going to be fun. You know, there's going to be a lot of chirping going on, but the fans are going to get a big kick out of it, and they're going to see a bunch of guys that they haven't seen in a long time, and they're going to be there to shake hands and sign autographs, too. So it's going to be a blast. Without putting you on the spot, too, Cam, I've played in these fun alumni games with you. We actually went to a D3. I think it was McKendry last year yeah. playing a game. Fans, you're not just going to see goals. You're not just going to see great names. You may see a fight. Cam Jansen has fought in these in these fun fundraiser games. I am not lying to you. Of course he has. For Jody Shelley to be on the other team, is, but that, hey, that's a scare. I remember when he played for the Flyers. His mouth is all chalked up with scars. He's one of the most intense guys. But if you fight Jody Shelley, man, mad props. He does. He, he does have his his face is beat up from scar. He's a handsome guy. Yeah. Make sure you tell him I said that. <laughs> but I'm like I'm like zero and five against Paul Bissonnette. I'm zero and three against Jody Shelley. So I, I I don't know. Maybe I can get one win under my belt against those guys. But no, I the reason why that I fought in the McKendry game, Joey. The guy asked me. Oh, he sorry. I can't say no. <laughs> what, a, what a jerk. We're, we're raising money for this school or some fundraiser. I don't know what we're raising money for. I look down the corner and Cam's dropping his gloves. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, I know. I know. I apologize to him. But, again, he asked me, and it is what it is. Uh, so, Cam, how are the are the teams Blues alumni versus NHL alumni? 
Yeah, it's a little bit of mix. They're going to mix and match. I mean, if you look, you can't just have all of the older alumni on one team because a lot of those guys. Yeah, you might. It's a big thing, but they're they're not very good anymore. No, no offense to them. Again, don't tell them I said that. So you're going to have to mix and match some of the Blues alumni with the other team. I think that's what they're doing. But it's going to they're going to be fair teams, and that's all that matters. Cam, I want to kind of switch gears here for a second. I'm glad we have you on because of the recent news in Vegas with Gerard Gallant losing his job. Now, your former coach when you were playing for the New Jersey Devils and Pete DeBoer has just signed on board with the Vegas Golden Knights. First of all, were you surprised by that? And what do you think Peter DeBoer, uh, after being underneath him in New Jersey, can really bring to Vegas in order to make them, I guess, more elite than they were, although they were already pretty good? Uh, they were pretty good. They, they lost four in a row. I was talking to Mikey McKinnon about that. You know, he's over there with, with Vegas, and you know they need some puck moving defensemen. They're not they're not playing with speed. Uh, Gerard Gallant was an absolute players' coach. You could talk to him. Pete, not necessarily the same kind of coach. You know, Pete it doesn't yell. He's not rah rah. He is very organized. You know exactly what your forecheck is. You do it every single day in practice to nauseam, which is fine because you know automatically what to do. And when we when we went to the Stanley Cup in 2012 with that team, we had such a heart, and it, it worked. It suited me perfectly. Thank God. Um, it, you could go 100 miles an hour. First guy 100 miles an hour. Second guy 100 miles an hour. Reason reacts. It's just it's all skating. And I think Vegas is better suit uh, for that style and with with Pete DeBoer. Uh, uh, you know, behind the bench, we shall see it. I guess if you, what else is there when you're Vegas and you need to switch something up? And of course, the Blues set that trend last year. And the Vegas is in a lot better spot than the Blues were uh, at that point. So they, these teams are probably a little trigger happy when they want to fire these coaches. But they saw what happened last year with the Blues. Pete DeBoer is, a, again, fast-paced kind of coach. Uh, not necessarily a player's coach. Sometimes I'd walk down the hallway and he didn't say hi to me. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, one of those stories. Yeah, I'm like, I gotcha. oh, no. I didn't get the puck on his own. But he always talks to you, and again, very, very, very prepared for each and every game. Made you uh, glad as a Blues fan that you got Craig Berube, who you know is going to be here for a long time for the way that he's coached this team, right? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, look what, look what Chief did last time. We don't need to go too far, but he just mixed and matched the lines. He just wasn't getting enough. You know, when the Blues want to turn it on, it's like they're playing against American League teams because they move the puck so fast. You can't even – you're a step ahead of everybody. But then Pete, or, uh, last night, Chief had to kind of mix and match the lines, and he always finds chemistry, and it worked again. He just knows he's a step ahead of the game. He really is, and he could read the players in the moment and know who's on, know who's off, and he could intermix guys and find chemistry. And, you know, it's just, just, just using his head. Like, he's smart. He just reads it. Um, and, yeah, he's going to be around for a long, long time, as he should. Okay, we're going to be talking about the uh, Zach Cassian and Matthew Kachuk oh kind of feud here in a little bit. And I want your take on it because you you fought the emotional ones. You fought the intense, like, in the moment, go after him. You've also fought in the stage fights. Look at that sequence of events. Matthew Kachuk goes after Cassian twice, two big hits. Cassian goes after him. The debate, I think, across the National Hockey League, and I've heard both sides, is Matthew Kachuk has got to answer the bell. That, that's the question and that's where the critique is coming in. I have my opinion on it, but I wanted to hear from you as far as what do you think Matthew Kachuk should have done when Zach Cassian went after him after that second hit? Okay, let me, let me start with this. That whole scenario, I don't care what side you're on, is great for hockey. Yes. Now, Daniel Carcillo might disagree with that, but people are talking about it, and that shows the duality of the sport. You saw Connor McDavid that, that night do something unbelievably special so graceful, 100 miles an hour, just shows the skill level of the game now. 
and then you got the big boys going at it. So, as a whole, for hockey, in my opinion, that's great. What does Matthew Kachuk need to do in that situation? How about don't eat 25 bombs to the head? <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, no. I'm dead serious. Matthew, you're six foot three. You're playing with fire. I love it. Stick up for yourself. You do not need to go trade punches with Zach Cashin, who throws left bombs, left heat, by the way. You don't need to do that. You're six foot three, 220 pounds, and you're strong as an ox. Don't get ragdolled. Don't let him get to that point. You know he's coming at you. You, everybody in the building knows he's coming at you. Stick up for yourself. You don't have to trade punches, but pick him up and body slam him. <laughs> something. The last thing you want to do is eat 25 across the chin. He's lucky he didn't get caught right in the jaw and get set back five to six months. Don't take a pounding we don't, when you don't have to. But that doesn't mean you need to go out there and go buckets off and trade your right with his left. Well, Cam, I, and I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily think he needed a fight in that situation. I was actually the most impressive thing about that breakdown right there, Cam, for me, was it the fact that you used the word duality. <laughs> It's one of my favorite songs from Slipknot. Oh, I, don't, I don't even know what it means. I don't even know what it means. Cam, hey, I, we uh, we really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man, and and I know I speak for Alex and, and all of St. Louis. I, you made a wonderful career for yourself. You're an ambassador here. You're one of the main reasons where I am, where I am today, as far as what I did as a player for well, how much I looked up to you. And you're a workhorse, man. Keep at it. I know you're doing things for TSN. You got a great podcast with Andy Strickland. You just go, go, go from Channel Five to everywhere. You're doing a heck of a job, man and I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate you coming on to this morning. Man, that was very, very that was very nice of you, Joey. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, I listen to you guys every single day. Keep it up. Love you both. Take care. That's Cam Jansen. We'll take a break. We'll come back and wrap up the first hour of This Week in Hockey next here on 101 ESPN. Once again, a big thank you to Cam Jansen for hopping on with Joe Vitale and yours truly, Alex Ferrario, here on This Week in Hockey. It's going to be a great all-star alumni game on Thursday, and make sure you get your tickets. I believe there are still some available for the game and for the luncheon that takes place that afternoon, so make sure you are a part of it. So, Joe, now I'm curious because I know you're not playing in it. We talked with Cam about that. Aren't you glad that you can kind of sit back and just watch the shenanigans take place, or do you wish you were in it? You know what? Now that Cam's playing in it, I absolutely Absolutely, I'm glad I'm not playing it. That oh, guy's yeah. got one gear. He, he doesn't play pickup fun hockey. I'll never forget, we have a men's league. I play every Tuesday morning at Webster. And last year, uh, it's 6 a.m. I mean, this is this is a men's league. Guys are walking in with their suits on a hanger, their dress shoes, and they, they literally go from playing to showering, putting on their suits, and going to the office. I mean, this is the type of players we're talking here. And Cam was out there. I think he got a high stuck and hit. He drove hard to the net, crashed the net. The net went off its bearings and went into the glass. And he is cut above his left eye, and he is bleeding down his whole left side of his face. And he is yelling at someone at center ice. I remember looking around like, like we have children. It's 6 a.m. on a work week. And Cam Jansen is at the red line barking at people, bleeding like Scarface, like say hello to my little friend. Kind of, I'm like, what is happening here? There is the intensity of the St. Louis product, and I am so happy I am not going to be playing with him on the ice. And I would say, if at least I could play on his team, sometimes it's more dangerous to be on his team. 
I think that's my favorite quote now. We are grown men at 6 a.m. and Cam Jansen is barking at people. Well, that's just more of a reason why you need to make sure you get out to Centene on Thursday next week and check out this All-Star alumni game. So, Joe, we have the skills competition coming up Friday at Enterprise Center, of course, of the All-Star weekend. And I think this is the one I'm most intrigued by because I always like watching the skills competition. You know, maybe it's gotten a little too fluffed in the past of how they've gone about it, but I feel like they got back to their roots Mm -hmm. this year. And I'm going to go through some of the competitions, but I thought let's have some fun with this. Let's pick out the players who we think would be best for this competition. A Blues player and an NHL player. Okay. All right. So the first one is the fastest skater. This one's always been there. Connor McDavid always seems to win. Uh, Kendall Coyne, the female skater, was a part of this last year, correct? Northeastern Husky. There it is again. No big deal. She was a part of it last year, did the fastest skater, but of course, Connor McDavid comes in. I always like watching this one, not so much because of I want to see who the fastest skater is. I want to see who eats it at some point. Uh, oh, yeah, that's just it. Yeah. Someone could get injured, but you know, they have those pads on the corners, oh, yeah. but they go so fast and they're like ripping around the net there. Uh, Connor McDavid, as you mentioned, Alex, last year, 13.3 full lap. That won it. Kendall Coyne was only a second yep. off that pace at 14. She should have won it. .3, and for a Husky dog. Oh, man. Uh. Why can't Connor just like take a back seat for one second? Like, stop being so awesome all the time. <laughs> um, you know what? That fastest skater will go to Connor McDavid. Again. I, I just don't know anyone who is, is as You prolific. think McKinnon could beat him? You know, McKinnon's close. That, that's actually a good one. Um, you know, Nathan McKinnon would be a close one, but uh, from a power standpoint and just from a, a length of stride standpoint, I think Connor McDavid it will have the edge, uh, but Nathan McKinnon, I would say for sure, yeah. that, that could be someone who kind of sneaks up in there and maybe angles it a little bit better, cuts a cuts a cone a little bit sharper, and it's just a matter of splits of seconds with that thing. <laughs> but two of the fastest skaters in the game will be going at it. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. Oh, it always is. And Ryan you're... O'Reilly should not compete really in that. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly, I'd put Dave. <laughs> I don't even know if I'd put David Perron on that one. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know if you have one that could compete. Or Petro. Or Petro. Or Bennington. Or Bennington. Maybe Barubi. Hey, we're not a fast team, but you know yeah. what? We, we we're still number well. one. We play fast. <laughs> we may not be fast. We play fast. Who would be on this team that could do that? Colton Pareko? I think Colton Pareko would be good. He's got a big, powerful, long stride. Well, Jordan Cairo. I think Jordan oh, yeah. Cairo can, can absolutely burn. What about McEachern? McEachern. That'd be another one. He yeah. is fast out there. And I, don't, I don't think you realize it because he plays that heavy style of hockey. You know, John Stanbrook, who is the skating coach for the St. Louis Blues, he's the son of Grant Stanbrook, who is one of the all-time uh, NHL legends or hockey legends from a college standpoint, NHL standpoint. He helped Paul Correa's career at University of Maine. Uh, they call him the ghost because he's always at these rinks and his hockey knowledge. He's the one that really started uh, a nutrition, a hockey psyche, scouting, watching video. It all came from Grant Stanbrook up there at the northeast of the United States here in the University of Maine. His son, John, is now the skating coach for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, born, not born, I don't know if he was born here, but he, he grew up around the St. Louis area. He actually does a lot of skating lessons around town. The skating coach for the Blues, I'll never forget him saying when I asked him the question last year, whose stride do you admire the most on this team? And he said Mackenzie McEachern. Really? He goes, for a big guy, the way he gets low, the way he just extends every stride, the way he recovers. You know, when you're a full stride and your ability to grab that skate and bring it to the front of your body and grab as much ice as possible, no one, he said, does it better on this team than Mackenzie wow. McEachern. That's, that's really interesting, especially when you see Colton Pareko's skating ability out there. Okay, the other one, the accuracy shooting. This is the other one that I like. It's old school. They've yeah. done it before. Pasternick won it last year, of course, of the Boston Bruins. 
I think Ryan O'Reilly can win this. You think so? And I don't know if he's ever competed in this before. And I know Curbs talked to him before, and we listened to the interview on our pregame show, and O'Reilly said that this would be the one that he'd want to compete in. You know what? Uh, I know that uh, Pasternak won it last year. He got 11.3 seconds. He knocked out every single target. To me, a scary player is going to come from our division is not going to be a Blues player, though. I, I don't know why that Patrick Kane, he always oh, scares yeah. me with that accuracy shooting. You know, he can pick a mark out of nowhere. Uh, if there's going to be a St. Louis Blues player to win it this year, I'm actually going to go David Perron. I was going to say, he'd be my next one. The way he kind of slithers those pucks underneath the bar, right around the goalie's ears on the power play. I mean, he's got the upper shot. To me, it's really going to be about Kenny Handel... Uh, the low targets on the first try. I know yeah. I hit him within two, but can you get it within the first one? And and you see that accuracy shooting. Uh, a lot of times players rush, rush, rush. They try to go for speed. Uh, Pasternak won it last year. If you watch it again, he receives the pass. He kind of takes a second. He looks up. He, he takes an extra moment just to get dialed in. And that extra second or split second, I think, can really pay off for the accuracy competition. I wonder if David Perron does the toe drag move before he shoots it, right? <laughs> I think David Perron would be better if you put a defender in front of him. I think you should put a goalie in front of those <laughs> four <goalie>. targets. <laughs> and he would probably not. At least those top two are going to be going down quick with that one. Uh, Elias Pedersen, too. Keep an eye on him. I forgot about that. Sneaky little well, and I mean, you always do have to deal with David Pasternak, and um, for some reason, though, I'm just curious about O'Reilly. Yeah, I mean, he just he seems to have that precision with the puck, right? But Where, he hasn't been shooting the puck a lot this year. That's true. That's true. That's what makes me a little 38, nervous. 38 assists. I was actually thinking of Ryan O'Reilly. What do you think about this? You heard about the new one, right? This new thing they're doing, shooting yep, stars. That was where I was going next. So the, apparently the players are going to be up in the stands in different concourses. and They're it, building platforms they're for They're building them. platforms. Yeah. And essentially they're going to be shooting from the stands. They're going to be shooting over the fans, <laughs> over the netting, and they're going to try to hit targets on the ice. It's kind of like that Dude Perfect. You ever watch yep. that Dude oh, Perfect? Oh, I love that. I love that YouTube channel. Talk about a bunch of degenerates that just got together now that are millionaires. It, it's kind of like that though you know they're going to be shooting from the stands they're going to be shooting from the upper deck to me this has ryan o'reilly i don't know about you alex but oh, this yeah. has ryan o'reilly written all over it. oh it totally does like you could just see him being at the top platform and just nailing a target <laughs> without problem everyone turned to be like did this guy just really do this he's probably practicing in the summer oh, all the time god you know he's going like into the stands and <laughs> stick handling and then just lobbing it over that's going to be fun for the fans i think to be sitting under these guys while they're shooting over the net. I'm just glad they're letting the All-Stars do it and not a bunch of fourth-line guys because the fans have to wear a bunch of helmets. I, mean, Joe Vitale, dangerous. I think Joe Vitale should go grab the hockey stick and try this out. I could kill somebody. You could kill somebody. I don't think I'm hitting the ice. <laughs> I'm missing the ice. On the other side, I'm just rifling shots at people's faces. I'll tell you what. Uh, hardest shot, obviously, you know, these are always defensemen. Here's the thing, though. Should they allow non-All-Stars to compete in the skills competition? That's a great question. To me, no, because it just kind of, I think it'll just flood it. Kind of takes it away, right? Yeah, it takes it away because then you just have uh, a player showing up just for a competition, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they miss their whole week or miss their three days off because they got to go, you know, fly to St. Louis just to shoot a just puck. Just to shoot a puck. Yeah, yeah, I think that's when. You, I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, you're starting to see Alex Ovechkin's not showing up. If you start doing that, you're really going to start <laughs> yeah. seeing people not show up for the hardest because I don't think players really care about that. You know, that was interesting because you know John Carlson last year wins yeah. that 102.8, 102.8. Now, John beats that by 10 miles an hour. Exactly. Like John Carlson doesn't strike you as someone with a very hard shot, but it really comes down to that question of what you just brought up Alex it's it's within the all-stars and because yeah. there are players in this league and I think this this category more than any of them uh, can be won from players who were not 
all-stars. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Because from an accuracy standpoint, from a fastest skater, if you're if you're accurate and you're fast, you're probably, probably going to be an all-star. all-star. Right. But you're going to have a bunch of meatheads out there that can just rip the puck who are not maybe necessarily an all-star. Like, like Colton Pareko, Looking for example. Paul Bissonette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Colton Pareko in his own right, maybe not an all-star just yet. The point production maybe isn't quite there, but from a uh, shot standpoint, my goodness gracious, I think he can top it over at least 105-106. The record all-time is Zidane Char. It was 108 back in 2012. Which is crazy that he holds it because you'd think Al McKinnis would hold that record, I right? I know, but, but Big Al, Big Al had oh, to yeah. use wood, sure wood. Chopper going straight through it. He had to go. He had to use these 14-pound pieces of lumber that were sponsored, <laughs> made it by Coho. What the hell is Coho? <laughs> now everyone's got these uh, titanium and these like alloy things that basically they build the Apollo 11 ship out of and now they make hockey sticks apparently they have flex and bend and they have torque points and they have different blades and different lies uh, different heights on the blade I mean everything is so scientific now if you give Alec if you give Al McGinnis a stick from today I think Al could easily put it over 110 oh god yeah I think yeah. he's pushing 120 with yeah. one of the sticks today bingo oh yeah bingo so two more they got the save streak which is basically the shootout one that they always do but here's the other one that I think is really cool that they're putting in this year it's the three-on-three competition where they're including women, women yeah women hockey players and if I'm not mistaken it's it's a women's hockey player and then a two NHL players correct I believe so yes because they're, they're mixing them basically to put them together I think that's really cool to implement the women side into the hockey. I think it's awesome. I mean, we saw what happened last year. I mean, so Kendall Coyne, as you already brought up, and, and for you fans out there, if you don't know who she is, uh, let me just plug it one more time. She went to Northeastern, just no big like deal. Joe Vitale. No big deal. NVD. <laughs> NVD. A women's hockey player at Northeastern. Uh, she played on the Olympic team, and she jumped in on the All-Star festivities last year in San Jose for the fastest skating competition. Right after Connor McDavid goes, all of a sudden, here comes this blonde girl with the ponytail, uh, super <laughs> Super badass, hops out there and runs off with a 14.3 full lap, which is just one second behind Connor McDavid. Made a bunch of noise. Check it out online. Uh, terrific inspiration. I know I have a daughter at home who's eight who saw it and it's like, Dad, I could play hockey too. I could be fast like Connor McDavid. And so, from an inspiration standpoint, Kendall Coyne has, uh, I think it's so great. They're going to get some women involved there. I think it's so great. Uh, as Again, as a father, I have a daughter. I have another one coming in March. I love the inspiration behind it all. I love that girls can look out there and see other women who are keeping up. And not only that, but maybe out skating NHL yeah. players to some degree, like Kendall Coyne was doing, uh, to be in the inspiration for them to go out there and, and want to try hockey and, and to take on the sport that I love so dearly. So kudos to the NHL for this. I think that's a really cool thing. No question. And again, the skills competition on Friday at Enterprise Center. And fans, of course, if you can't make it out, you can watch it on television. We'll take another break here on This Week in Hockey when we come back. Speaking of the All-Star break, let's talk about the players that aren't involved in the All-Star festivities. The players, is it a good time to be hitting a break? Joe and I- Hour number two of This Week in Hockey. Welcome back. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. All-Star Weekend coming your way this upcoming weekend at Enterprise Center. And, of course, Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Petrangelo, David Perron, Jordan Bennington, Craig Berube, all representing St. Louis. But here's the other side of this, Joe. And the question was posed to Craig Berube yesterday, is the All-Star break coming at a good time? Mm-hmm. And I found that really intriguing. Now, first of all, Craig Berube answers it, uh, doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> Bill Belichick style. Just, it's whatever. whatever. Doesn't matter. It's Doesn't good. Matter. It's bad. It's fine. Whatever. I just, I just work yeah. here. I just, I just go out here and coach. That's all I do. <laughs> but, you know, while I hear that question, there's two sides to look at this. 
on one hand, it's good because it's a long season that these guys have been dealing with. It gives you a week to rest your body. Mm. Look at Colton Pareko, who's been held out up until this point. If he doesn't play on Saturday, which I don't think he will, it gives him about three weeks of rest for that body before you go back into the second half of the season. But the other side of it is the one that really caught me, and I was kind of battling with myself inside. I don't know if you want to stop right now because you're in this groove right now where it feels like you lose it. You can find a way to turn it around and pick things back up. It's a tough call to actually sit there and say, oh, do you want to be, or do you not want to be kind of where to go with it? Alex, I think if you were to go individually around the locker room of the St. Louis Blues and you ask them, is this a bad time to take a week off of hockey and relax? I don't think one person in that locker room would say, "Yes, this They'd is a probably terrible laugh time." At me. I should still, I should still. It's like it's like any boss coming up to any employee and saying, "Hey, Jill, um, <laughs> you're doing terrific. Your numbers are the best in the company. Um, take a week off. Here's a paid vacation. Go to the beach. Go to Hawaii. Wherever you want to go, we're paying for you. Go do it." How many out there would say, "You know what? No, I'm excelling so well in my my my." branch right now. I, w- I just want to keep hauling at it. You know it. what the sad part is? I probably would say that because I'd be worried about, oh my God, do I leave and then someone's going to do my job better than me? Like I don't even like vacation. <laughs> okay, so then maybe I should switch it. Instead of you, the whole company, since it's the whole Blues team, okay, that's everyone, different. go to Hawaii for a week. I'm paying for it. Get the heck out of here. You guys had a great year. Our numbers are off the charts and all the employees saying, you know what? We're going to stay. We're, we're good. I'm good here. <laughs> you guys go. I'm going to keep working my ass off here. To answer your question, Alex. Uh, There's never, (laughs) ever, ever a bad time for a player to take a week off during the season, especially the grind these Blues players have experienced over the last year, year and a half of hockey. They've managed. uh, They're ahead of the NHL as far as first place goes. They've created a great cushion for themselves. And um, I'm looking at Oscar Sundquist. The other day, walking out of the locker room, we did a late shift together, which you can find online at theblues.com. He looks like, and I've said this before, I think I mentioned it to you, he looks like an old chewed up dog toy. Like, you know, you come with a stuffed animal for your puppy from oh, yeah. PetSmart or whatever, you give it to him and a week later, it's like one eyeball's yeah. gone. The stuffing's all over your house. <laughs> the back right leg's hanging on by a thread. There's stuffing there. I mean, that's what Oscar looks like. This kid needs a break. I mean, these Blues players have been giving it their absolute all. They put their heart and soul in every single shift, every single game. Uh, you see the back pressure again last night. I mean, we're over halfway through this season, and there's just really no let up. The monotony of coming into the rink every single day, listening to the same meetings, the same scouting report, hopping on the ice. A small thing, tying your skates. I cannot tell you how exhausting that becomes after a while when you talk about the monotony of really? being an NHL player. Tying your skates, just the thought of stepping away from the rink for a week and not having to tie your skates. I mean, it's the small things, taping your stick. These players can finally get away. Uh, they're going to they're gonna end uh, before break in Colorado this Saturday after coming this Saturday coming afternoon. From there, they're already kind of out west. I know a lot of players are going to be doing some Mexico stuff. I know some players may be jumping to Hawaii since oh, they're wow. out there. And then you always got to look at where do you return. And since they're playing their first game in Vancouver, it actually works out very well for the West Travelers where they can go to Hawaii, go to Cabo, and do those kind of things where instead of coming back to St. Louis, they can just go right to Vancouver for those direct flights. So it actually works out very well. I think a lot of players are going to be going down, uh, especially to find some sun, get some vitamin D because, nice. man, this Blues team, they've been giving the fans so much to cheer about oh, yeah. and they deserve a break. How much can your body actually heal, Joe, in a week time of no hockey? You know, body-wise, 
I don't know how much really, Alex, but I think from the mind standpoint, it's, it's, is that the bigger portion of it? it it's the psyche. Yeah. It's without question the psyche. Uh, you know, back in my days playing, we had a three-day All-Star break, and that felt like it went by in the blink of an eye. But now this new bye week uh, that the players um, obviously vouched for, and they went after, and the the owners and everyone, uh, the NHLPA kind of allowed. Now they have a longer break. It's almost like an Olympic break. So for these players, uh, if they have the nickname injury, sure, a little bit extra time is going to help them. Maybe the groins, maybe some sprains. But from a psyche standpoint, uh, it is just so important to get out, get it completely away from the game, unplug, turn off your phone, don't go on social media, don't don't even talk to anyone on your team who's not <laughs> maybe joining you in Cabo and doing the fishing adventures or whatever. Just completely get away because then you can come back and feel very refreshed heading into this uh, second half push. How difficult is it then to turn that back on? Because that's the part that always gets me, Joe, mm-hmm. is you know, you're off for a week, you're playing really well. It's not that you forget how to play hockey, but it's getting back into the routine of hockey. It's getting back into the routine of practices and what the coaches want on the ice and getting back in shape. How difficult mm-hmm. is it to turn that back on? It's difficult if you don't have good leaders, and really? it's difficult if you don't have a good coach. Uh, I've been on both sides of it, but when you have good players and a disciplined coach and an aggressive coach like the St. Louis Blues have, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be very, very easy. I remember when I when that lockout back, and I believe it was 2013, I want to say, was that the last lockout where we yeah. lost half the season? I remember that question coming up. We ended up just realizing in mid-January there's going to be a season. So everyone came together in Pittsburgh. And I remember that first practice. I remember everyone was just kind of like feeling it out and just kind of getting after it. I'll never forget the image of James Neal. We had a scrimmage. His first shift, he was forechecking. He actually finished Brooks Orpik in the corner. And everyone was like, whoa, settle down. And he didn't even smirk. Like He was just like, let's go. And everyone at that point was like, okay, let's go. It's, <laughs> it's go time. Like When you have players like that, it brings everyone's game up. For the St. Louis Blues team, when you have Ryan O'Reilly and Petrangelo and Alexander Steen and Braden Shen and all these leaders, incredible leaders on this team, uh, and then a coach to back all that up. That, to me, what either makes the transition very hard or very easy. For this Blues group, it's going to be a very easy transition because you got your leaders who are going to be hungry, chomping at the bit to get back to play some hockey. Now, you've had teammates that participated in the All-Star break, Joe, uh, or All-Star game and weekend, I should say. What's that going to be like for those guys? Now, it's not, of course, the grind of a season, but it still is all of the media that you have to be doing. Mm -hmm. It's doing the skates two different times with the skills competition in the All-Star game. Does that take away a little bit of the relaxation for O'Reilly and Perron and Petrangelo and Bennington? Well, it definitely does. I mean, that's that's the downside of it. Uh, But you look at the flip side, and and the good thing is... um, you're being honored by the league right. to be an all-star. Uh, it's something that will be on your resume forever, something you'll never forget. The experience with the, these, these players' kids, you know, David Prawn, Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly's kids, Craig Berube to, to share this moment with his girlfriend and Jordan Bennington's girlfriend as well. So those are the memories, and that's the good side. But the bad side is, yeah, you're going to come back uh, maybe a little bit less refreshed. You're going to be dealing with a lot of media. You're going to be around hockey. You're going to be tying your skates and doing all the monotonous things we were just talking about. You're going to be doing that more often. So it's going to be a little bit less of a reset. But the good news is now, because of the bye week, you still have a little time off before that All-Star game. Again, back in the day, it was an All-Star break. It was three, four days off. And these players would go literally right from playing a game to the city where the All-Star game was, the the, the media one day skills competition game, and they flow right back to the city and they get right back into playing again. There was really no break, and that really hindered those players. But now with this bye week, the St. Louis Blues are going to have basically from uh, Sunday to Thursday off, for the even for the All-Stars. 
And then things really pick up on Friday, Saturday before things return uh, the following week as the Blues head to Vancouver. So there will still be some R&R time, uh, but for those All-Stars, they probably won't be as tan as when you go to Vancouver. Not the Cabo or the Hawaii tan that those other guys will have when they come back. Yeah, you're not going to have the burnt tan. Well, maybe you'll get the 35-degree tan here in St. Louis. <laughs> the maybe freezer burn tan. You get tan. the freezer burn tan. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a, qu- a quick break here on This Week in Hockey. When we come back, Matthew Kachuk, we mentioned it in the previous hour. Starting to see a soap opera in the National Hockey League, mostly in the Pacific Division. Matthew Kachuk has a lot of uh, disgruntled fans and players, so we'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Welcome back this week in hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you here on a Thursday night. Don't forget Blues back in action on Saturday. It's a 2 o'clock puck drop against the Colorado Avalanche. A 1 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community. 1.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. And Matthew Kachuk, phenomenal player in the NHL. He's one of those players kind of like Brad Marchand, right, Joe, where you, you hate playing against him, but you love it if he's on your team. Big Minko, yeah. And Matthew Kachuk, look, he does everything right, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't take aside what he does on the ice. He He's always great with the media from what I've heard and what I've seen. He's always great with the fans. He's doing things the right way. He's always there to support his teammates. But on the ice, He's playing old-school hockey. Mm-hmm. He's grown up watching his dad, Big Walt, play this style. People see it as dirty, but in my eyes, and I want your opinion on this, Joe, I think the NHL now seems to be a little too soft when it comes to the play of some players. Uh, you know, I, I would agree to some degree, absolutely, Alex. Uh, I love the way Matthew plays. I, I, I watched this kid grow up in St. Louis. We used to work out together when he was 12, 13 years old. I've, I've watched him kind of groom and, and become the player that he is today, and, and I admire everything about the way he plays the game. I love his grittiness. I love how he goes after players. I love his comments after he goes after players. You know, a lot of players end up becoming tightly I think he adds to the drama in, in a good way. You mentioned being Big Walt's son. He's learned from the right person. He's learned from the white right way. He, he just he just has old school in his blood, and that's how he plays the game. You know, for Cassian there, I know his comments were that you know he didn't answer the bell. Uh, listen, Matthew Kachuk, first of all, he has answered the bell throughout his career. Oh, yeah. I remember that Drew Doughty incident. Uh, he he t- fought twice. I think he fought Clifford and one other one other player for the LA Kings after that incident. Uh, he's paid his dues as a rookie, as far as I'm concerned. We're not dealing with the fourth line kid that Cassian can go after, and the fourth liner's got to go. I mean, Matthew Kachuk has 38 points, and he's leading all Calgary Flames in points right now. There's no reason for him to fight. He can just keep skating away and laughing, and and Cassian can keep taking the two game suspension as much as he wants. There's no reason for Matthew to go after Cassian at that point. But you mentioned just his his ability to just find that level of intensity and to bring the drama into the game. Uh, the Battle of Alberta is as oh. fun as ever. I know, I know one thing. When the Calgary Flames play the Edmonton Oilers and when the Calgary Flames play the Los Angeles Kings, the anticipation oh, yeah. before those games now from a, from a league-wide standpoint is, is insane. I mean, he's bringing people back into the game, or he is ramping up the intensity for people who are already in the game. Uh, I love everything about what Matthew Kachuk is doing. And on the flip side, Alex, I actually love everything that Zach Cassian is doing as well. I don't think there's really uh, a bad person or a villain in this sequence. I respect both players as I respected Vince Dunn and Jacob Truba a couple games ago when the Rangers defenseman won after the St. Louis Blues defenseman at the end of that game. You see why both 
players do it, the frustration of Truba, and then the the response of Vince Dunn, the frustration of Cassian, and the response of Matthew Kachuk. I mean, I love the intensity. I love the old school. I think that you got to have a little bit of a burr in the saddle sometimes in some of these NHL games. I think sometimes at times it's what's missing. But the intensity of that game, whoa. Well, and here's the thing that I don't agree with when people are saying, well, Matthew Kachuk's not standing up for himself. Well, first of all, he didn't have a shot to because as soon as that second hit happened, Zach Cassian grabbed a hold of him and just started railing on him. And I'm not talking bad about Cassian there. Like, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. You're sticking up for yourself. But the narrative of, well, Kachuk didn't stick up for himself, I don't really understand that narrative. And the also, the narrative with it is, you know, saying that it was a dirty hit. Now, I saw Scotty Upshaw on Twitter talking about it, Joe, and I'd love your take, of course, being a former player. The part that was dirty was the fact that Cassian's head was down, but it didn't seem like Kachuk was going, was going for Cassian. Yeah, you know, his head was down, but you got to keep your head up. Exactly. That's is, the first thing we're told. This is the game where you got to be aware and you got to understand who's on the ice. If you're Zach Cassian, I know you're a big, heavy player, but you can get hit too. And Matthew Kachuk will hit you. On the flip side, if you're playing the Edmonton Oilers, you better be aware when Zach Cassian's on the ice because if you get caught with your head down, you're going to get hit. Right. Now, did Matthew Kachuk kind of run at him and have a disregard for the puck? A little bit. Maybe a little bit of a charge. The second one more than the first one. The second one definitely, but it led to the fight for sure when he lost his helmet for the second time. But all in all, clean hits shoulder to shoulder. I loved it. Uh, Zach Cassian is a uh, a player in this league. He's one of the last of the Mohegans, I would call him, in the <laughs> sense that he is he, he's, he's a gritty guy. He's a fighter. He's a mean guy. He's one of those players, Alex, that still gets those wires crossed a little bit. You see him in oh, games. Yeah. You see his eyes kind of do that old twitch. Uh, there's not a lot of players in the league anymore that have that wired cross kind of look where just intense scariness like McGratton in Calgary used to have that. In today's game, uh, Milan Lucic I think still has it. I think Chris Neal had it in Ottawa before he retired. Yeah. Um, but even like it's different. Like you look at tough players in the league right now. Zdeno Chara, scary. Ryan Reeves, scary. But they don't have that like twitch where their wires get crossed and their eyes kind of go like all in- intense and you hit them and they don't even flinch. Like right. That's what Zach Cassian has. So that's uh, I-, I almost applaud Matthew Kachuk for having just the smart. I mean, that's just smart hockey. Right. You don't want to fight that guy. Just I mean, duck and cover and take it. He's an animal. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, in the post game, the post game is what got me. And look, this is what I love about hockey. Like John Tortorella said it. We talked about it last year. You need more rivalry. You need more hatred in the NHL. Yeah. And between Cassian and Kachuk and Dowdy and Kachuk, chirping each other after the game. I mean, exactly what you just mentioned. When Cassian was post-game after that night, he, his eyes are bugging out of his head, yeah. and he calls Matthew Kachuk a word that names with a cat, or same thing as cat. Yeah. But his eye, he's not blinking. Right. His eyes are just staring into your soul as he says it. And then it's like, whoa, yeah, I am not getting involved with this guy. I right? know. I mean, that, that's it. And that's the intensity that Zach brings. And But that's the drama I, I love about the oh, game. Yeah. And, and not only because of the position we're in, Alex, I think as a fan, I think as a player, oh, gosh, I think yeah. players next to Matthew were like, oh my god, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> yeah, like, what's Wrong with tripping them in the locker room, and and you know the anticipation heading the next time these two teams play uh, is pretty cool. And and you know what, there, there's probably a little bit of the maturity aspect too, where Matthew Kachuk and Zach Cassian, you know, 
guys who've been around the league a long time, they understand the rivalry. They yeah. understand the drama. They understand the game. And they understand this is an entertaining business. Yeah. Uh, so wh- whether that played into it at all, uh, I'm not really sure. But uh, again, I-, I-, I applaud both oh, sides yeah. of this, and-, and I can't wait for the next battle of Alberta. I, know. I hope, I pray that those two teams see each other in the postseason oh, at some point. Oh, would be great? I would watch every second of that. So here's a, a little audio from Spittin' Chicklets, uh, Ryan Whitney and Paul Bissonette, who's been on the show with us before, of course, uh, former teammates of yours, Joe. But Ryan Whitney had an interesting take on this, so I want uh, our listeners to hear it. And I w- I'll start with this. Matthew Kachuk, dirty rat. Okay? He's a rat. That's what he does. You know what else he is? He's an awesome player. And every single guy on his team loves him. And there's been amazing, dirty hockey players before. Mark Messier, Chris Chelios. The list goes on and on. To be dirty, as much as fans, you hate players who are dirty. And oh, my God, oh, my God. That makes many, many hockey players and will forever, hopefully, make many, many hockey players who they are and why they are great. Is being a dirty rat on the ice. Brad Marchand's the same exact way, okay? Matthew Kachuk, people say, be so, you know, and Zach, Cassian called him up recently, right in the media. He said he's a he's so. Maybe, you know what? He doesn't fight. Yeah, call him up. He's so right. He doesn't have to fight. Every person out there, he has to fight if he's going to hit like that. No, he doesn't. You may want him to. I think that it would be the honorable thing to do. Biz said he probably should fight. If you watch, you can say you should fight him. You're going to run around like that. You should fight him. You know what? He doesn't have to especially nowadays with the rules like this, okay? He does not have... All the people who are so furious about this entire incident, Matthew Kachuk, he has to fight him. No, dude. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to fight him. You know what he does? He doesn't fight him. He turtles, and many people say he looks like a piece so looks foolish. Well, they got a power play, and they scored the game-winning goal on the power play. So what do you mean he has to fight? He just proved he didn't, and his team won. Yes. That Cassian had every right in the world to ragdoll him and beat the bag out of him like he did. And you know what part of it is? Is embarrassment. Because, Biz, I'm pretty sure that you'll back this up, no matter who you are, especially if you're a guy as tough, as big, and as strong as Zach Cassian. When you get lit up not once but twice by the same guy, you're embarrassed. He got his helmet. He got buried so that's the part that gets me too, Joe, is, you know, people see it and say, oh, well, he turks his head and he, you know, he gets, he looks like a wimp there. Or in other words, what mm-hmm. everyone is imagining what I'm want, wanting to use there. But they do get the power play and they do score on that power yeah. play. So technically, he kind of possumed him into drawing that penalty, which helped his team out. That's it. I mean, you know, I, the only thing I, I don't like about Witt's remarks there was that he called him a dirty rat. I, right. I, 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 yeah. I, I know what he's trying to say, but I think, well, first of all, Marshawn's a rat. That, that, that's different. Yeah. I will not put. I am not going to put Matthew Kachuk on the same level as Brad Marshawn. I just am not. I think. I think Matthew pays, plays such a more uh, intense hockey role agreed than Marshawn. Marshawn does a way more extracurricular stuff at the whistles between whistles the stick checks the comments the slew uh, footing the spearing the licking yeah. I mean licking players Come Matthew would never lick a player so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna agree with that part but I agree with everything else I agree with the fact that Matthew Kachuk, as we were just talking about, there's no reason for Matthew to fight. He's leading the Calgary Flames in points. Uh, he put his team out on the power play, and now they, they took over uh, first place, in, I believe, in the division after that game because of that incident, uh, according to Matthew Kachuk's yeah. comments right there. So, 
And then in today's day and age, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, you probably have to answer the bell. You don't need to anymore. There's no reason to lure someone in. It doesn't really matter. You put your team on a power play and you go. You think Matthew Kachuk is worried about being called a kitty cat? By Zach Cassian? God, no. You think he cares about that? He's on a bridge deal right now. He's making great dough. In a couple years, he's going to be making even better dough. He's leading his team in points. uh, A team that has completely turned this season around with Johnny Goudreau finally getting hot. Um, He's just fine. Matthew Kachuk is a very confident kid. Uh, To me, a player that would fight in that situation is someone who's not very confident, maybe a little insecure. Uh, Confidence and security is something that Matthew Kachuk has uh, plenty of, and I don't think he's worried one minute about Zach Cassian. Not at all. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take another break here on This Week in Hockey. When we come back, we will get into a little home cooking for the St. Louis Blues. It's a good thing that they continue to win this way on home ice, and Joe and I will talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario, back with you here on a Thursday night as we continue on this week in hockey. And now it's time to talk a little home ice, Joe, as, of course, the Blues just wrapped up tying a franchise record of nine consecutive victories at home. They have the best home record in the Western Conference, the second best home record in all of the National Hockey League. And, you know, Craig Maruby said something yesterday that I thought was really intriguing. He said that at home, they're playing north-south style hockey. As opposed to last season, they were playing a lot of east-west. He said that was a focus in the offseason to be better at home, and they've done that. Why is that, though, Joe? Well, I think that when you have to go north-south, you typically play that style more when you're a slower team. Uh, Look at Colorado Avalanche, for example, a very fast team that likes to stretch the ice sideways because they have the speed to do it with players like Nathan McKinnon. Now, the Blues maybe don't have that speed, so in order to get to the offensive zone and get to the opponent team's net quicker, you got to go north-south. It only makes sense from a physics standpoint, uh, not only skating that way, but moving the puck that way. And I think that's where the quick transition for me, Alex, has been the biggest um, note as far as what that north-south hockey really looks like. The Blues have done it almost to perfection throughout this past homestand, probably to perfection almost the entire season, especially at home. Now, they do it on the road, too. I'm not going to say they don't do this on the road because if it's a recipe for success at home, it's probably going to be a recipe for success on the road as well. But you go from a quick transition game, and what I mean by transition is this. When the opponent team turns the puck over, let's say in the neutral zone, or they go to dump the puck in, maybe it doesn't go all the way deep, and the defenseman's got it on their stick. Maybe Justin Falk picks his head up. He's just inside his own blue line. Instead of waiting, instead of going from his defensive partner to the defensive partner, maybe to a low center, then back to the D, that's slow transition. But when Justin Falk gets that puck, it's a turnover. Bam. It's going north in a hurry. It's getting up the ice. You're finding a winger. You're finding an open stick, and you're moving it to him. It's a chip, and it's in the offensive zone. By doing that, you catch teams off guard. You, you catch teams in the midst of a change. You catch teams that maybe aren't in their structure as far as a neutral zone trap standpoint can be, and that's when I think the Blues have done such a good job of as far as getting north very quickly because you kind of catch your opponent off guard just a little bit, just enough to get to the offensive zone, disturb a little bit, and uh, maybe find a seam or something kind of going on that's not typically there when the team's in full structure. How do you get away from that, though? And, I mean, the reason I say that is last year, you know, they played the north-south style on the road like they were the best road team in that second half of the season home games were okay but it was more so Jordan Bennington was stealing them for you now 
your goaltender has actually been the quiet part of your home games because you're scoring goals like crazy. Your defensive style is so much better. It just seems that there's confidence at home right now, doesn't it? There is, but I think to your original question at the beginning of that part, something that jumps out at me, why aren't you playing that at times? And sometimes the Blues and other teams across National Hockey League, they don't get to that north quick transition hockey like I just talked about. And everyone looks to the puck carrier. And again, I'll just bring up Justin Falk because we brought him up in the last example. If he gets the puck inside his blue line, he's looking up north, he's looking for an option. If there's nothing available, he'll have to delay. And then he'll have to go to D to D. Or maybe he has to hold on to a puck for an extra couple seconds. And that slow transition, you kind of put the blame on Justin Falk. Like, my God, move the puck. Get it going. Let's go north. But the problem usually is not within the puck carrier. The problem is with the other four guys on the ice who are not moving their feet to get into position to be an outlet for Justin Falk. And that, to me, is what has made this homestand and home ice such an advantage for the St. Louis Blues. The players away from the puck, the play away from the puck, Chief talks about it all the time. They're on their toes. They're skating. They're getting north. They're getting to the right position. They're finding an open lane, and they're getting their sticks exposed, and they're ready for a puck. Everyone's got to be an option. And the Blues are speedily getting to those positions to be that outlet pass, to be the way out and in the way in. And when you have that and you have that support, that's what makes transition hockey so fun. That's what makes it so intriguing. And that's what makes it lead to a lot of offensive success like the Blues have been doing here on the home ice. Here's the part that gets me to where I feel like this home ice play is going to be crucial for them. The second half of the season, the unofficial half after the All-Star break. You know, you play a little bit more road than you do home games uh, in that second portion of the season. But you're good on the road. Like it's it's well documented how good you play on the road. You know, you had a little bit of a slip this last time on the road trip with Arizona and Colorado and Vegas, but they know how to play there. Knowing how to play at home makes them a double-tooled weapon, a double-edged sword to where it feels like in the playoffs, you know, we felt like, oh, well they'll go on the road and they'll win. But now you're to the point where other teams fear coming into your building, which is an advantage. But when you go out on the road, it gives you the opportunity to close out series faster, Joe. And last year, you went 6-7-6-7. Six, seven, six, seven. Mm-hmm. If you find ways to close things out at home and play better, you could be talking four or five wins to give you more rest so that you're ready to go in that next series. I think I think you're right. I think I think the way the Blues closed out series is last year. I mean, those first three rounds were all closed out on home ice. Yeah. And this was a team that last year struggled at home a lot, especially even during the second half when they were playing good hockey. They weren't necessarily uh, at all times being as consistent on home ice. I think those first three rounds last year really gave them confidence heading into this season. It's kind of a reverse psyche. You think by going on the road, being out of your comfort zone, being in a hotel, you're not familiar with the locker rooms, maybe the bikes that they provide for you on the road aren't aren't, aren't your favorite style. Maybe they're spin bikes and you like more of the relaxation, like a reclining bike. I, a little, little Peloton things. bike. Yeah, exactly. The little things. So you would think <laughs> that you would struggle more on the road, but what we're seeing in the National Hockey League is kind of that reverse psyche where when you're out of your comfort zone and maybe you're, you're getting the, the different kind of rest in the hotels, that's where you kind of play better because you have to rely so heavily on the team. You have to rely so heavily on the systems because you are out of that comfort zone. So since that trend has begun, this is why teams typically can struggle on home ice. They call it the home ice trap game. When you go on the road, you finally come home. Everyone thinks you're back on home ice. You're with your family. You got your your comfort of your own bike and your own uh, protein shake shaker in your locker room. And you got your three different pairs of tennis shoes you use between different periods. You would think within that comfort zone, you would play better. But what actually happens is 
you actually fall back and you, uh, I guess, get a little bit more complacent, a little yeah. bit more content at times from a psyche standpoint, and that's where teams are getting beat. So impressively enough for the Blues this year as they've found a way to, again, reverse that trend, reverse that cycle where not only are they going to be good on the road, but they've understood how to come home to be within that comfort zone, be within that comfort structure, and still play that intense road-style game. Uh, and that's what's made them so impressive this year, Alex, to me, because because it's not an easy thing to do from a player standpoint. Completely sidetracked here. Does the President's Trophy scare you? You know... Because <laughs> it scares me. You know what? <laughs> I, I will say this. I think the President Trophy would scare me if you didn't win the Stanley Cup last year. And what Good I mean point. by that is this. The Blues... When you win the President's Trophy, you have a target on your back. The, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning last year, they had the hugest target on their back because they just absolutely ran away with the season. Uh, we all saw what happened in Columbus. The uh, Tampa Bay Lightning last year gets swept <laughs> yeah. by Columbus because you understand you're going up against Frazier. I mean, you're going up against Muhammad Ali, and, and you want to take these champs down. The President's Trophy, if the Blues were to win it this year, it doesn't matter to me because the Blues already have that target because they're the Stanley Cup champions, because they're such an elite class right now and they're playing championship uh, caliber hockey and they actually are the champions of the defending Stanley Cup champions. So they're going to be coming in the postseason, assuming they they do get in. It's very early. Obviously, I'm not going to presume anything. But they already had that huge target. So mm-hmm. I think at this point, it doesn't really matter for the St. Louis Blues group. I think if any other team wins a President's Trophy, it may be a bad luck because then <laughs> the intensity of your opponent ramps up even just a little bit more. Right. But for this Blues group, uh, you win the Stanley Cup. Uh, what more pressure can you really ask for? And not to mention, Alex, as we've seen being around this group so much, uh, this team's not really phased no. by anything. I mean, they're just so calm. They'll <laughs> see the President's Trophy and be like, Okay. Whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep it in the zone. They're, they're going to treat it probably how they treated the Conn Smythe Trophy last year at the Stanley Cup final in Boston. I remember being in the, in the locker room in the Boston Garden there in the celebration, the cups in the room. I'm, I'm walking through three inches of champagne. And in the corner stall, I think it was Vince Dunstall, the Conn Smythe Trophy was like laying on its kind of side facing the back of the stall. And I was like, oh, there's the Conn Smythe Trophy. Does anyone want to acknowledge this right now? <laughs> I'll take this off your hands, guys. Don't worry. Joe Vitale's got this. I literally probably could have stolen that trophy and no one would know. Could have Tom brady did. it. <laughs> well, there you go. In the words of Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. We'll take our final break. We'll come back. What's up with that as we wrap up this week in hockey on 101 ESPN? Time now for What's Up With That. Well, sit on down and tell me what's up with that. All right, final time here on a Thursday night. Always a fun time to get into a little what's up with that with Joe Vitale. This is the chance for me to pick his brain with some crazy stories around the NHL. And let's be honest, find out if he's seen any of these things around the NHL. First things first, Joe. What's up with the Blues 5-on-3 power play? Oh, boy. We don't (laughs) need to talk about it, do we? So the last time that the Blues scored a 5-on-3 power play goal, Barack Obama was the president. (laughs) Hold on, I got more for oh, you. Man. I got more for you. Robbie, uh, Ty Ratty, Dimitri Ashkin were all starters at forward for your roster. And on top of all of this, 
Now I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> the Barack Obama one got me really well with it. Hold on, I got to go back and find the tweet that I had. The, the Bar- Dimitri Yashkin one to me that kind of is a little bit jolting. Anti ratty. Anti ratty. Like right? Oh, now see now I lost it. But regardless, it's been a long time since these guys have scored on the five on three. Okay, what's up with that? Big time. Uh, what I will say about this, Alex, is this: uh, this this group is built around Doug Armstrong's philosophy of having a lot of really good players. We don't have. Uh, a elite pair of McDavid and Dreisaitl, McKinnon and Rantanen, uh, Marshawn and Bergeron. We, we don't have those players. We don't have the Mitch Marners and Austin Matthews, guys who make $10 million who would probably excel in these situations. We have Ryan O'Reilly. We got Braden Shen. They, they're, they're 200-foot centermen, and they're terrific 5-on-5. Five five. What I will say is this. If you ask every coach on the National Hockey League, at this point in the season, would you take first place and your biggest problem be your five on three? You Hell know how yeah. many coaches would take that? But talk about like having good problems. Like if your five on three is the worst part of your game right now, trust me, you're gonna be fine because we don't see a lot of five on three in playoff hockey. The other one was Robert Thomas was sixteen years old. Okay, that, that, that's a pretty really good one. Too. I'm glad you went to bring out the phone yeah. and check that. Damn it, I wish I would have had that when we went through it earlier. Okay, next one. Tuka Rask backing out of the all star game. Look, Ovechkin's done it. Mm-hmm. The Tuka Rask one gets me though. Like, you're a goaltender. You're going to play what? A period? Well, think about where he's coming, though, to Alex. I mean, to oh, the yeah. St. Louis Blues. You think that's part of it? Maybe. I don't know. Like, why would you want to go to the same city that beat you in the Stanley Cup final last year? Maybe a little extra hatred, a little motivation for Tuca to stay home and, and maybe get some sun. Who knows? I don't know. That's a pretty good one, actually. Okay, another Boston one for you. Brad Marchand. Oh, this one is coming. <laughs> five on five shootout. Well, I'm sorry. It's five. It's five to five. They're in a shootout against the Flyers. Philly scores. Marchand needs to score to tie it, and he he muffs the puck. He whips on the puck, doesn't pick it up. The play is dead. They lose the game. He touches it just enough where he can't go back and get it, and it moves. Now, if he would have just whiffed on it completely, he could actually go back and pick the puck right. up by rule. But it's a reviewable play. He comes over right over top of the puck. He moves it outside the dot, and the game is over. I mean, this would have been embarrassing if it was the first shooter, but the fact that he he needs to score this to, to keep the, the shootout going, right. and then he misses it, I mean, it's over. It's over. This was embarrassing, but I don't think it was as embarrassing as when Dennis Weidman yes, St. Louis Blues. That's where I was going next. Slew-footed himself oh. into the corner. That was That will always be the best, most embarrassing shootout attempt of all time. Have you ever had the chance to talk to him? Never did, but I remember Chris Kerber telling me that they went to OB's right after that game. Really? He was there, and they showed it on the highlights on the TV, and everyone in the bar stood up and gave him a standing ovation, and he stood up and gave away with a big smile. So he hood, I guess he he took it like a, a sport. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, though, you know, sometimes I wish I could have gone back on my, over my career and done something so stupid like that, because you will always be Never. remembered yeah. for that. And, and yeah. for him, that he Dennis Weidman, whenever you bring his name up from this day moving forward that is the first thing that people will think about you know what's so funny about that and i'm so glad you brought that up because i always think people forget about that my dad and i were at the game we were 12 rows off the ice behind the goaltender behind so we saw it firsthand of dennis weidman and my dad and i couldn't (laughs) stop laughing we couldn't stop laughing and so from this day every time somebody trips in our family my dad and i call it they just they just dennis weidman did you just been 
Weidman. You've just been Weidman. That is a video you can watch <laughs> at any point of the day, at any point in the year. I don't care how many times you've watched it, and it will make yep. you laugh and giggle for at least five minutes. This makes me sound like a horrible person, but it's like watching old people falling down. It just always makes you laugh. It does. Or makes it kind of makes you think about when Wee Man disappeared in that, in that show movie Jackass. And Jackass. So much. Where they make him disappear as a magic show. Yes. That does make me laugh That's every a great time. video. Oh my gosh. Coming out with another Jackass, by the way. Oh, they? Oh Maybe we gosh. need to make a live video when it happens of Curbs, Joey, and Ferrario at the Jackass movie. We should do something small like that. We need to. And just have a video on Joe and Curbs and I yeah. through that movie. Nothing serious. No, no. no paper cuts. Yeah. No paper cuts are allowed. No, God, no. No. Maybe we should do a Jackass sometime. Like with clothespins with on the, the tongue oh, or something? Yeah. I don't know. We're going to find something out with that. Real quick, though, the, the teaser as we wrap things up tonight, Joe. Colorado Avalanche, Tuesday afternoon, or Sunday, <clears throat> Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock puck drop. Uh, a tough game, no question, though, because as Craig Brewery says, you got to make sure you don't have the all-star break in your mind. You have to focus on that game. There's a lot going on. A lot going on with the players. You have 60 minutes left before the bye week and all-star break. That's number one. Uh, number two, you're in Colorado. You're dealing with the altitude. you got to keep your shift short because you can get gassed in a hurry. And lastly, Alex, number three for this Colorado matchup here on Saturday afternoon, you just got thumped in their building a couple weeks ago on that road trip. Uh, it sent kind of shockwaves, I think, throughout the National Hockey League saying that, hey, there's not only one team in the Central anymore. The Colorado Avalanche are for real. This is going to be a response game for the St. Louis Blues. These these two have gone at it at the Pepsi Center. They've had some intense emotional matchups over the last couple of years. I'm looking forward to this last game as they wrap it up heading into the, the bye week. That is going to wrap it up for us tonight on This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, uh, enjoy the All-Star break, although you and I will be working like dogs. Work, 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 work. Who oh, sings that? Rihanna? That's totally a Rihanna song. Oh, you yeah. just nailed it. Do you like that? You just nailed That's it. That's going to be us next week. Oh, yeah. Work, 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 work. Joe Vitale. That was way better, by the way. <laughs> it was so better than that. <laughs> Jesus. My Godfather impression's <laughs> terrible, too. So it's just two for two with that. And a big thank you to Dan Betlock for all of his work. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Joe, myself, Chris Kerber will talk to you Saturday afternoon for the Blues and Avalanche here on 101 ESPN. At the Home Depot, we have Black Friday savings all through November. And with that comes a joyful holiday bustle that we just love to hear. Although we also love the sound that comes after the holidays. When people put their new tools to use. In fact, we love it so much. When you buy select Milwaukee M18 kits, you'll get an extra tool for free. So after you're done filling the air with holiday magic, you can fill it with the sounds of doing. The Home Depot. How doors get more done. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.